Alright, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is May 19th, 2022, and my name is Ben Bauman. I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana with Kathy Smith-Andrew, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? I was born in Muncie, Indiana in 1944. Okay, and what were your parents' names? John F. Wallace and Emily Wallace. Her first name was actually Harriet, but she hated that, so she went by her middle name, Emily Wallace. Okay. And um, when did your family first get to Indiana? Well, my great-grandfather came to Indiana um, following the potato famine. Oh, okay. He apparently um, joined the uh, English Navy and then jumped ship in New Orleans. Wow. And came to Indiana because we were building the canals then. We thought canals were the transportation of the future in that time. And and people who came from overseas and, you know, were no Irish should apply, you know, is all over the, the East Coast. He came up and worked, tried to find work on one of the canal teams, but he didn't find work there. He... he Really started out in Ohio and then moved to Indiana. My grandmother was his final child, and he had like 24, 26 kids oh because gosh. he outlived three women wow. that he married. So he was uh, prolific, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, I guess a real, a real man's man. But uh, that's how they how they got here, and that was. Uh, the potato famine was what, 18? Say 49. 46, yeah. 49? Yeah. Okay, so it was after that. Yeah. And you know how the Irish and the English did not get along, and he joined the English Navy. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. Just to get here. That's interesting, okay. And uh, do you have any siblings? I had an older sister, mm -hmm. Bonnie. She passed away probably six years ago. Okay. I'm the last of the Mohicans in my family. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. Except for cousins and... Sure, yeah, yeah extended family, yeah. So how would you describe your childhood? I had a, I had a good childhood. Uh, my parents valued education and uh, valued us. My mother worked, which was not the model back then. Yeah. As I was growing up, and I remember women saying to me, mothers of other classmates, oh, that's right, your mother works, I'm so sorry. And I didn't even think to say, well, it's good. It's a good thing, you know, because she taught deaf children to speak mm -hmm. and and <laughs> to read lips instead of use sign language. Okay, and interesting. Yes, and that was, that was the model of, uh, that was brought forward by... Um, Spencer Tracy's son was deaf, and his wife, who was not the actress, um, founded the school for him and had people come. You know, Annie Sullivan mm -hmm. uh, spelled into uh, Helen Keller's hand, kind of sign language, but not really keeping her from, from communicating with everybody else. Right. And my mother felt that 
if you didn't want to have the, the person only be able to communicate with people who knew American Sign Language, that it was very important that they learn to read lips. And when she started, the kids wore ba uh, batteries all down in a, in a, a white pocketed thing. Hmm, okay. And then after the uh, space program started, when they had to miniaturize everything, yeah. that made a huge difference in children's ability to get a, a uh, both of them had ear, to get hearing aids that they could hear sound. It was only a very small portion then who are stone deaf, who are unable to hear. And my mom would pack her foot on the uh, wood floor mm -hmm. to get their attention, and then she would say the word and then put her hand on, and they would try to say it, and she would show them again and again, back and forth. Huh, wow. And I helped her in the summers. So when I started teaching, I could read lips, kind of. Yeah. And that was hysterically funny. <laughs> they'd say something in the back of the room, and I'd say, oh, you want to know if she's going to do this? And they'd go, how does she know? How does she know? That <laughs> <laughs> was fun. That's a useful skill as a teacher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so who would you say were the most influential people then in your childhood? Well, my teachers were. My father was. Um, those those are the most influential. Yeah. And I guess uh, my Catholic religion and Catholic upbringing, too. Mm -hmm. Sure. What did you know about your family's political beliefs growing up? I knew they voted every time. Okay. I didn't know if we were Republican or Democrat because it would change with the mm -hmm. president that they decided they would support. Okay, yeah. Interesting, all right. Uh, and what schools did you attend growing up? Um, I started out at Muncie Burris uh, as as a kindergartner, and then St. Mary's built um, classrooms for the Catholic kids to go to. So I think it was my fourth grade through my sixth grade that I was at St. Mary's School, and then it ended, and I went back to... Uh, Burris for 7th through 12th. Okay. Right. And that Burris High School was a really special place. Oh, okay. Because it was, number one, it was the laboratory school for Ball State University. Wow. And uh, a lot of my uh, teachers, especially in high school, were professors. Wow. Had their doctorate, you know. Yeah. And uh, my class <clears throat> was very, uh, when scholarships, merit scholarships came out, we had several in my class, and my class was under 100 people. And uh, then when there are Truman scholarships they give out after you graduate from undergrad for graduate school, again, people in my class got many of them. So like 95% of the people in my high school senior class went on to college. Wow, okay, that's yeah, impressive. Jeez. Let's see... So it sounds like you had pretty pretty good educational experience. Did you have any favorite subjects in school? Yes, English was my favorite subject. Yeah. Were you part of any like clubs or sports teams or something? Or? Well, women didn't really have any sports teams then. Yeah. We had GAA, Girls okay. Athletic Association, and you'd play. Okay. Some, but I was not I was not athletically inclined. Okay. <laughs> 
I'm still not it. <laughs> no. Swimming and lifeguarding I did. Oh, okay. Um, but I was in the, the drama club. I was in the uh, literature, uh, the magazine that, that we put out throughout our, our high school, yeah, things like that. I did a lot of, of plays. Okay. So how did you view Indiana growing up? Were you, like, aware of, like, what it was like to be someone from Indiana compared to other parts of the country, or...? No, I, not really. Okay. Not really. Just that was home. Yeah, sure. My dad and mom did Sunday drives that were at least two hours long. We went all over the state to look at different things. We, we went to Brookville to look at the last remaining parts of the uh, canal system we, and mm. all over. The worst one was <laughs> there was going to be a new um, lake uh, in, near Muncie, the Prairie Creek Lake. One Sunday we spent four hours going up and down country roads looking for the fingers of that, hmm. what would be yeah. when, they, when it all, I mean, that was just, that was... That was just terrible. Yeah. I had things I needed to do for school, you know. Sure. And there I am in the car. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what did you do after high school then? I uh, worked at the, the local pool in, Indiana, in Muncie and then went to IU. Okay. And what was your major at IU? My major was English Language Arts. Okay. And were you involved with any clubs at IU at all? or I was in a sorority. Okay. Um, Pi Beta Phi. And um, really no clubs. I did, I did a lot of work in the sorority. I was the song chairman. Let's see. So what were your goals after graduation? I, I did not stay all four years. I married between my junior and senior year. Mm-hmm and spent my final year at Purdue taking special classes that would apply to my degree, and then came back the summer after that uh, and took intercession, regular session, and post-session at mm-hmm. IU summer school for, you know, where they, they, you're there like five hours a day, and then you have to read so many pages that night, and, you know, it's very, very intense, but that completed my degree. And okay. then my husband at the time wanted to go to law school. He applied at University of Louisville and was accepted. So that's how I got down to New Albany, Indiana, mm-hmm. right on the Ohio River across yeah. from Louisville, Kentucky. And that's where I taught. Okay. And yeah. I loved it. Yeah, sure. Um, so did your awareness of politics change at all when you were in college? Did you get more interested in politics? or? Yes. Um, I remember... When Barry Goldwater ran for president, I, that really scared me. And they did a lot of work on college campuses. They did a good yeah. job campaigning. And I remember calling my dad and saying, hey, <laughs> is this guy going to make it? And he said he mm-hmm. didn't think he would and not to worry about it. You know, he didn't think that, that uh, he would be elected. Yeah. So that was, I sh- I'm sure now that I, I must have been aware. Yeah, yeah. And... Um Let's see. Do you have any children? Yes, I have one daughter, Allison. Okay. And um, so how would you say your family 
sort of influenced your career and your interest in getting involved with the General Assembly uh, later on? Actually, um, my family taught me to be aware of people who are not as lucky as I was to have been born Mm -hmm. in a middle-class family, number one. Muncie Burris was the same way. Muncie Burris um, teachers were very much involved in in having you give back to your community somehow. So that started my awareness. Okay. Um, Empathy, I was, um, was not accepted all that well by my mother. And so I was kind of on the outside looking in. Sure. And could and developed a lot of empathy for people that I saw having trouble with anything, you know. Yeah. yeah. Whether it was opening a door or whatever, or reading or, you know. Sure. So when I went to college, that, that continued. Um, and uh, that awareness uh, was that I realized that that there was one party, political party, that did a lot for people who were not as lucky as I was and and stood tall for those people. Yeah. And so that's how I started becoming a Democrat. And uh, my senior year when I was at Purdue with my then husband, um, I remember we met... Uh, a gal, a gal and her husband, and I really liked her, but he was a real pain. Mm-hmm. And he was always uh, giving me grief about caring about black people. Mm. And I remember one day he came and said, hey, I just signed you up for the NAACP. And I said, you did? I said, how am I going to know where the meetings are? And, when the, and you know, mm-hmm. and he thought I would get all, <laughs> and I, yeah. he said, I didn't do that. I said, oh, darn, well, maybe I, I'll try to do that. Yeah. You know. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So. So you said you went. So, did you go from IU to Purdue, or how did you? Get to Purdue? Yes, okay. I went from IU to Purdue. I took two classes at Purdue: economics and an English class. Uh, and I was so surprised. Economics, first of all, when we went in the first day, and of yeah. course I was scared to death. <laughs> Purdue is totally different sure. than IU. Uh, the professor said, um, "How many of you have had?" Um, Oh, what was it? It was a math course. Like statistics or something, or calculus or something like that. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm never going to make this. So I really had to study hard, hard, hard. Yeah. Um, and did fine, but I w- I'm a self-starter through fear. I mm-hmm. don't want to fail. Fear right. of failure is a big deal for me. Yeah. But I was surprised at Purdue when... In the English class, when it was time for our finals, you had to buy your own blue book. Mm. The university didn't supply blue books. Yeah. And that's not a big, you know, that's not a lot of money, but I to, I, what? So I had to go to the bookstore and buy a blue book mm. to take my finals. Wow. So once you really started to identify as a Democrat, how did you first get involved in politics in the state? Through the Teachers Association, okay. which is a union the Indiana State Teachers Association, and my local, mm-hmm. in Albany, Floyd County. I became a member of our political action committee on the local level, and then um, through working hard, when people asked me, how did you get to be a senator? 
I said, well, whenever I told somebody I would come to a meeting or do something, I did it. Yeah. And it's not hard. You just do what, you know. And so it ended up that I became a member of the State Political Action Committee and the, the chair of it for nine years before I ran for office. Okay, yeah. And I would come up and talk to my legislators. I was lucky in that at that time they were Democrats and they usually voted for more funding for schools or, you know, not anything that was against schools. Um, probably the, my last three years uh, in the legislature, I voted against and we defeated charter school bill. Okay. Because I knew that it would take money away from public schools, which in public schools are in our, our Indiana Constitution. Mm-hmm. that a free public education should be provided. Right. And uh, that has come to pass, that yeah. they have taken more and more and more. And then uh, when a legislative leader says to you, well, we gave such and such million, gazillion, billion dollars to education, and that was a huge percent of our budget. They're talking about the vouchers that he gave and the funding for charter schools, etc., and the, the amount of the pie that goes to public schools just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Interesting. Universities, same way. Mm-hmm. I worked for Indiana University after I left the governor's office. And I worked there till we retired at, at age 65. And uh, the, the percentage of money that our state school received from the state went down from Probably, I think it started at at least two-thirds before me there. But it was down to like 16% by the time I retired. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Now, politically, did you have any like uh, national political heroes or state people that you kind of looked up to? Yes, I did. I, I very much uh, supported Hubert Humphrey. He, that was the first... Uh, presidential election I was old enough to vote in. I worked for John Kennedy, called people for John Kennedy when John Kennedy was running. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing that I did not notice, and I should have, is what a positive difference that LBJ had. Mm -hmm. I was like, he's not my president. My president was killed, you know. Yeah. And he was, he was an abrasive person, um, but he sure got stuff done. I mean, how, how do people ever retire without Medicare? Yeah. That, I mean, that was the 1960s, you know, when that was instituted. I don't know what people did before that. One uh, hospitalization would have just blown anything you had to retire with. So you'd be yeah. on welfare, I guess, but, you know. You're right, yeah. So those kinds of issues, senior citizen issues, I was always involved in. When I went to the Senate... Uh, on purpose, I, try, I had you were assigned to three committees, and I was on the education committee after the first two years. Um, health care and health committee I was on every year that I was in the Senate. And then on purpose, I chose another committee that had nothing to do with anything I knew about. Uh, elections committee was the first year, and the first bill was the elections bill, and it was over 400 pages. And wow. I tried to read that the night before we voted on it. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't really exciting reading either. 
but I tried to learn the different facets of the, of state government, so I was better at figuring out what I wanted to do. Then the other thing I did, being a teacher, our caucus chairman, uh, Dennis Neary, I talked him into meeting with us for half an hour before the session started at 1 o'clock and going through the bills that day and letting us know, okay, is this a bill that has been... Uh, you know, been proposed year after year after year, and what's the problem with it that we see, you know, so that he could give us the history of things. So we knew what we were doing. And it started with me, and then when my other freshmen learned what I was doing, because I left lunch early, yeah. you know, they they came too. So we, we met all the time. And then um, probably two to three years in, uh, when new people came in, I knew that they needed some help too. So I was an assistant caucus chair, so I assigned one of the our members to each new person. Mm-hmm. And that was their person they could check with, you know, on anything. Like, where do you go to eat, you know? Right. Where's a good restroom? I mean, just anything. Yep. And I thought that was helpful. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, so, when did you decide to run for uh, the General Assembly? I had been to um, at least two Democratic National Conventions. And uh, I also went to Indianapolis to lobby for education. And the first person who asked me about running uh, was Marilyn Schultz. And mm-hmm. she was, I don't know, have you learned what a, what a person she was? She would not go to any... Yeah. reception in a building that women were not allowed to be in other than legislative women, yeah. you know. And she she started standing up for women before really Gloria Steinem and, and the whole crew started. Mm-hmm. So she was an inspiration. She heard me explain a bill uh, to Bill Cochran, my state representative who happened to have his desk near hers in the cubby holes that are the the you know like the warren yeah. of of desks when you don't have enough space and she said uh, have you ever thought about running for for the legislature and I said oh no I'd have to run against him no way I'm going to run against him you know mm-hmm. then Frank O'Bannon um, before he, he was the, he was just the chairman of our Senate Democrat caucus and and our leader in the Senate he asked me to run. And he asked me to run against a Democrat senator, an incumbent, hmm. because this gen- this gentleman, um, I don't know if I should, this gentleman, and I'm not going to obviously say the name, sure. uh, had a drinking problem and was prone to do things like leave his car running mm-hmm. as he checked into a ho- the hotel for the, and then wow. up to the room and forget it was there. Jeez. So he was afraid we'd lose that seat. Yeah. So when I ran, I couldn't say, he said, uh-huh. to, for me to run. Wow. And that was the promise I made him, that I would not. Yeah. And so people thought I was just an interloper trying to get rid of a Democrat, you know. Yeah. And a lot of people never knew the real story. And, of course, I never told it. Yeah. You know, so. Wow. Yeah. And just so happened that that senator's brother was Democrat Party chair in one of the two counties mm. I represented. Hmm. Wow. So he, 
it was really trying to swim upstream. Yeah, that's an awkward situation. Mm -hmm. um, so when you ran your campaign, did you have a particular strategy at all? Mm -hmm. That was going door to door to as many Democrats and independents as I could find. Yeah. And so I had precinct captains, and uh, they had the cards that we filled out in, in the city county building in the clerk's office, and they put their cards in street order. Mm -hmm. And the best ones went around and you know wrote down, well, that's the White House, or that's this house, yeah. or that house. And so I would go with them in their car um, every day. We left at 4 o'clock. And I would walk until dark. And then Saturdays, we started at 10 o'clock, and I'd walk until dark. And Sundays, uh, after church, at like mm -hmm. noon or 1 o'clock. And I, so I did it every day. Okay. So... Rain, uh, <laughs> sleet, yeah. snow. One person said to me when I knocked on the door, and my, you know, I had on a yeah. slicker and a hat, she said... I thought you must be collecting for the paper. I didn't think anybody else would be out in this weather. <laughs> I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> I'm Kathy Smith, and I'm running for state senate. Then give me my yeah. brochure, and I hope that you might consider voting for me on November 4th. Yeah. So, and then they could say anything to me they wanted to. Yeah. And I have to tell you this one. Sure. Um, I was running to help people that weren't, as affluent as I was, and I was certainly not affluent. Um, and one house I went to in Clarksville, the little lady, you know, smiled, and she was older, and she was obviously alone in this house. And she took my brochure, but she said, Honey, I, I can't vote for you. And I said, Why? She said, I don't think any woman has the intelligence or the honesty Wow. to run for political office. And I'm, it just tore me apart. Because yeah. I'm, she's the kind of person I'm running for. Right. You yeah. know. Wow. So you just want to, so many times you, you see something like that, you just like, I, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. But I did it. Next house, okay. Next house, okay. Third house, guy came to the door with a cigar in his mouth, you know, yep. who the hell's at my door? Right. So I, I, I'm Kathy Smith, and I'm, you know. Yeah. He said, well, the men aren't doing that darn good a job. I think I'll vote for you. <laughs> so that almost happened every time. Every yeah. time you got somebody who was really nasty or yeah. angry at you, it wasn't too many houses later that somebody was really nice, and it kind of said, okay, I can yeah. do it some more. But it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. You know, it's like... Asking people, do you trust me? Mm -hmm. Do you think I'm telling the truth? Right. You don't do that to strangers. You do that to somebody that's a friend. Don't you trust me? You know. Yeah. But you don't do that to strangers. And so it's, that's tough. I don't know anybody who enjoys doing that, but you learn so much. And I would go back. Mm -hmm. I went back every time I ran, primary and general, so they could tell me what they liked or they could say, well, how about canoes, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You never know, I guess, who, whose door you're going to be knocking on. No, or who's going to answer it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Let's see. Do you remember your uh, your main opponent in the election, the Republican that you ran against? 
probably the most difficult one was the former mayor of New Albany, Robert Real. Okay. He was a legend, still mm -hmm. is, I'm sure, in our community as a fine man mm -hmm. who ran the office of mayor in an, in an honest, straightforward yeah. way. So he was my final opponent before I served in two years before Frank O'Bannon was uh, elected. I, I never ran when the governor ran. Okay. Um, he was elected and asked me to join his uh, cabinet. So uh, that was my scariest one um, mm -hmm. because I knew how much he was uh, beloved in our community. And I represented all of Floyd County and parts of Clark. But Floyd was my big numbers. Yeah. So. so how did you run against him then? What was your strategy for that? Be me? Yeah. Pass out these things. Realize that I've sent out all these newsletters. And I've also sent surveys that I tried to ask questions in a straightforward manner. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of get angry when we get them now because you know the answer they want yeah. from the question they ask. So I, I tried never to do that. And I always okayed everything that went out for me. Mm -hmm. And um, anything that I passed out, usually, and I couldn't find it, had the phone numbers of state. Here, yeah, I do have it. Of state agencies that people might need. There. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's a useful document. Yeah. That is, people could probably use this today. Uh, I get phone calls from people randomly asking, yeah. <laughs> asking for someone. Like, I'm definitely not the right person. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you can... It's not me. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, so what did you think of the election process? I followed the rules, and I thought it was fair. Mm -hmm. and, and I still believe it's fair. Yeah. Um, I was an inspector several times for my precinct because it's hard to find people to do those things, okay? So I was the one who made sure the machine, we, we voted by machine yeah. in Floyd County. But so you can't, you, you can't cheat. Yeah, sure. It's, and even today, we have a friend, uh, we, we go to Silver Sneakers three times a week to exercise at the Y, mm -hmm. and we have a friend who meets us for lunch afterwards, and he served as a sheriff at the polls this last election. Oh, okay. He said, how in the heck anybody thinks you can cheat? He said, they have it so locked down, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. And it's true, with the advent of computers, it's very difficult to try to vote two <laughs> places or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there are people who, who come to your polls who are confused with where they're supposed to vote. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and you send them that other place. Right, right. Yeah. So, what was your reaction when you found out that you won your first election for the General Assembly? Well, let me tell you, before I got there, Okay. Um, Mary Dieter was the uh, Indiana reporter for the Louisville Courier-Journal, and she interviewed all of us, the candidates for state office. It wasn't a state office, but you know what I mean, it right. wasn't local. Um, and so we talked, and um, I was uh, an abused spouse for my first husband. Mm -hmm. He tried to kill me in front Yikes. of our daughter with a knife. And when that happened, um, 
I felt like about the lowest person ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to her, that, you know, that had been uh, that had been like fifteen years earlier. My daughter was a senior in high school now. Yeah. And she was four years old at that time, three or four. And I said, I've already won. She said, what if, what, what's, what if you lose, Kathy? I said, I've already won. And, and I hadn't even thought this through. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, 15 years ago, I, just, I could hardly face anybody in this community because my husband tried to kill me. You know, mm-hmm. that didn't happen to nice people back then. It's, it does happen to nice people, but... Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite right. up to par. And I said, and now I've forced myself to run for political office. Yeah. And I said, that fact that I said yes and I've done it, that's, I already won. Yeah, definitely. And so that's when it, it came to me, um, no matter if I won or lose, I won or lost, I would still have won. Yeah. And... I never thought I was going to win the race, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Never. I mean, I knew I worked my rear end off. Right. So that I could say to myself any morning afterwards, hey, you did the best you could, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, quite the, quite the change of circumstances then. Yeah. It really was. Nobody ever brought that up either. That was, that was a, a really nice thing. That was a really smart, I mean, a really yeah. positive thing about the whole deal. Yeah. Nobody ever said anything about it either in a campaign, mm-hmm. the opposite side or anything. Yeah. So I thought that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what were you thinking then when you walked into the state house for your first day as an elected official? It was, it was, uh, I looked at the building and thought, now I belong here. And it was just, uh. It was an amazing, amazing feeling that, you know, you work hard for something and then you achieve it. Yeah. And I was lucky enough at that time, there were 24 Democrats and 26 Republicans in the Senate then. And you know what it is now. Yeah, yeah, right. And so our, my desk was up on the third floor in front of one of those big, beautiful stained glass windows that's near the top of the state mm-hmm. house. It was like, this has got to be a dream, you know? <laughs> it's got to be a dream until I had to start entering those 4,000 names. Right. And, trust, and that was not a dream. Yeah. <laughs> That's reality. <laughs> With nobody yeah. else there to tell me, yep. okay, hit control, do the, you know. <clears throat> right, yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh. I never took it for granted. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, that's cool. What would you say were your expectations for the legislative process when you first got there? Was it more or less what you expected? Yes, because I had been going up on, uh, we had personal days at that time. They don't have them anymore. Mm -hmm. Two personal days a year that you could do personal business, whatever you needed to do during the five-day work week. And so Mm -hmm. I would take personal leave days and go up there. So I saw how education bills did or didn't go through. Yeah. And I talked to Bill Cochran. He was like my mentor. He was uh, my state rep. He was a state rep for years and years. And he was also the chairman of the political party 
when I first ran, and and I went to him and asked him about running, and you know, what's your advice, and mm-hmm. so I knew a lot more about it because of that, and because of the national and state convention uh, experiences. So I, I I knew pretty much how it went, um, and it. And it I remember it didn't make me happy, but it didn't surprise me when I had to give up my bills that I had the legislative services prepare for me to a Republican for first author mm. so that they had control of when it was called down and, right. and then I was co-author. And that, you know, I understood that. Yeah. They had a majority. So. Yeah, yeah. Um. So how did you keep track then of uh, what your constituents wanted? Was it just mailings and... Uh... Yes, and I had an intern, mm-hmm. and uh, she helped me with that. You know, if, if it was a if it was a letter from someone about this, we mm-hmm. filed it under that, and I answered all my mail. I answered my own mail. Okay. Now, somebody else typed it up, right. but I wrote it out. And then off-session, which is, you know, 10 months out of 12... There was, I had no secretary. I had no office down in New Albany. I got stacks of mail like this that I had to really yeah. answer. I mean, and uh, so they would call and ask me to come to a certain meeting, and I'd say, I teach school every day, and I, I made it, you know, my, I made it a, a commitment to do that, and I don't leave school for meetings like that. Well, could you send your secretary? I said I probably could, but she lives in Indianapolis and works there, too. I don't have one down here. So people were either nice about that or not nice about that, but they soon stopped asking me to come during school hours. They did ask me to come to evening meetings, which I had regularly, you know, two to three to four days a week. Right. And so that that was uh, the difficult part was to uh, be an English teacher and grade themes and papers. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, um, but other than that, it was it worked well. I I had to keep organized, and I had bags. I still have bags, don't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cloth bags. Okay, this was my school bag that yeah. brought home every. This was my legislature bag. This was my whatever else bag, you know. And that's how I kept organized. Mm-hmm. Everything was filed in that bag, and I knew where things were. And then at school, we were supposed to, we turned in our uh, lesson plan books at the end of every year, and I asked my principal what happened to them. He says, we just file them. I said, could I have mine back so that I know when I started that, you know, we started reading... Um, to Kill a Mockingbird in ninth grade when I started that so I could get it done before I left for Indianapolis. And then the, the, the best thing was I was allowed to choose who took my place. I mean, I explained it to my principal, etc. Right. But I, I got really good substitute teachers uh, to take my place when I was gone. And, that, and they taught like I did. That was important to me because I was firm... I was a disciplinarian, but I was also fair, and I was fun. I mean, we could laugh about stuff, too. An example would be this. Uh, 
when I was teaching, there were slang books. Do you know what that is? No. Okay. Kids had, had like, notebook pages, and then what do you think about this person? What do you think about this teacher? What do you think, you know? Okay. And then you'd just write it, they'd write it down and pass it around, you know. Okay. But teachers would take those and not give them back. Uh-huh. I never did that. I gave 15 to 20 minutes at the end of each class period for them to start their homework while I was there to answer questions. Yeah. Remembering that math was not always my favorite subject or my best subject, and I had a math teacher that when I was at, in the classroom, I understood it. I understood what I was supposed to do, but he gave us no time to look it over and, and ask him any questions. So when I got home, it was like, I, I don't know how to do this, you know? Right, right. So I didn't want that to happen. So if they got their homework done, they came up and showed me, then they could write in the slang books because they were writing. Mm-hmm. And I knew if, they, if I let them write notes or write in the slang book, they were writing. Yeah. And so that was the fairness part. You know, I didn't try to ever go, gotcha. Right. Was any of my kids. In fact, I told them at the beginning of the year, I'll never call your parents unless I've told you I'm going to call them first. Yeah. So it's not going to be a surprise to you. Right. You know, and so that's the kind of thing that kind of endears you to kids because you, you let them know you care about them as a person and you treat them as like a person and not a peon. Yeah. And um, I really missed my kids when I was gone and they, and they were kind enough to say they missed me except for one year. Okay. One year, the gal I depended on decided that she was done with her marriage with the, the gentleman she had had her children with, etc. He was not a nice person. And she left him and, and went to her high school sweetheart who lived down in uh, Texas. And she called me two weeks before I was supposed to leave for the legislature after Christmas. Wow. So I go to school the next day and I said, you're not going to believe this. <coughs> what? Ginny, did, and I just told him that, and they said, I never thought Ginny would do that. You could have, but not Jenny. I was like, what? <laughs> so I had to find this young girl who just graduated from college, and she was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So she took over for me. Okay. So the first day I'm back, written in pencil on my, you know, kind of from my guitar desk, says, I wish Miss So-and-so was back. And some of the kids came up and they looked at it and they said, I didn't write that. I didn't write that. I said, I know. I did. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I tried to do. Was yeah. always turn something to a joke. Because you can go through life yeah. moaning and complaining about everything. Or you can go through life laughing. And I, after that incident with my first husband, yeah. when life could be over really quickly, yeah. I decided I was going through laughing. Yeah. Trying to make it. And, and raising my daughter the same way. You know, when it was it was a terrible thing would happen to her, any terrible thing, I'd kind of, you know, I'd understand and told, you know, she knew I understood, but I'd make a joke about it so we could laugh about it later, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I, I do things. Yeah. I, but my father, my, my parents didn't know that he was abusing me. Okay. Because he told me that he would kill them if I told them, and I knew he would. Wow. This is, he's in law school. I'm putting him through law school. Yeah, that's you know? insane. Exactly, exactly. So when I finally called my dad, when I got out of the apartment, he helped me there. 
for quite a few hours. And finally got out of the apartment because the gal next door, who was seven months pregnant, went to the door and knocked on the door, and Bill thought that it was the police. And he mm-hmm. said, you go down there, bitch, and you get rid of them. So I took Allison's hand, ran down the steps and out the door, and never went back. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came to my rescue, and Allison and I got out, and we have never, ever once since then taken a happy family for granted, yeah. ever. And so um, I think I have a different view on life than maybe a lot of people do mm-hmm. because each day is important to me. Yeah. So I know that you don't always have them yeah. forever. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah, things like that definitely give people perspective on things. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. So thinking about your legislation a bit, what was the first bill that you sponsored? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. The first bill I sponsored was a bill that increased the penalties for dealing drugs within 1,000 feet of a public or private school. Hmm, okay. And, and the perpetrator had an increased penalty for doing that. Yeah. If he was caught. And that was my first bill. Um, my biggest legislation the first year, um, I was asked to join Senator Patricia Miller who uh, was a longtime senator. She was uh, chair of the health committee and very powerful woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she asked me to co-author her AIDS bill. It was when AIDS was just starting, yeah. the omnibus AIDS bill, which is still in effect, by the way, which is amazing, you know, because it's it was a balancing act between your right for your privacy and the public's right to know to be prepared. Yeah. You know, just kind of like the COVID thing, you know, when they sure. had to do all this. So I was her uh, I was her second author, and I attended every meeting that we went to, and even this, this, this house uh, looking at the committee and the house itself looking at the bill <coughs> and, and voting on it. And that apparently wasn't usually done, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the way I got to meet Woody Myers, who mm-hmm. was was the youngest health commissioner we'd ever had in Indiana, and uh, become very good friends with him through trial and you know, and and so that was my my first major major bill with, with her, and I developed and learned from her. By the way, um, she used to have all the uh, lobbyists for and against a piece of her legislation into the Republican caucus room all together. She said, okay, tell me what you like about it, tell me what you don't like about it, and we'll, I'll change it if I think it's necessary. And so they would debate it back and forth, and you learn from them. Oh, There's yeah. no way you can come up here and know everything about everything, you know. And I did that when I was in the governor's office, same thing. I had the Chamber of Commerce, the ISTA, the PTA, the, you know, all manufacturers associations, all those people come in a huge room, I think in the state office building somewhere. And we sat down and talked about education, education legislation, et cetera. 
and it was a good and and I was also the the head of all these different heads of agencies, you know, within right, right. And so we met one or once every two weeks, a certain time, certain date. It was just set, and I wanted to know what was going on, what they had been doing, what they felt was a good thing, you know, just to try to keep it all straight. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I did. Okay. But I learned that from her. Um, so did you ever find it challenging to get a bill heard or, or at all or to get support for bills? Yes. And, uh, you know, what were the ways you tried to work around that then? Well, I I tried to go straight straight to the person who was holding it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, uh, my that first bill about increasing the penalties, yeah. Mary Dieter, who's the one, the reporter who asked me, well, what if you lose, you know? She came to me, she said, did you know that Bill Cochran, who was my head author or sponsor in the house, that he's holding that bill up? I said, no, he couldn't. He wouldn't she said, yeah, he is. So she, I said, well, I'm going to go talk to him. She said, I'm coming with you. Yeah. What he was doing was, she was saying, he was one of the, the uh, four people in conference committee on a certain bill they really wanted, and he wasn't going to sign it. Mm-hmm. Until you know, he wasn't going to sign it until such and such, and he wasn't going to sign my bill until then too. You know, just holding things back. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, <laughs> on his door, I said, "Are you holding my bill?" He said, "Yeah, come on in. I'll tell you why." <laughs> you know, and he did. He explained it to me, and he was he was a, a really good mentor. Dennis Neary in the Senate side, mm-hmm. you know, the caucus. <laughs> chair was very good and Bill Cochran was very good because he knew our local as well as our state politics and and what we tried to do and how we could get that done yeah so he I could I could go to him but I didn't use subterfuge uh ever to get a bill heard that I told him was something it wasn't right I couldn't do that yeah okay so how crucial would you say it was to work with uh, the other party then? Absolutely necessary. Yeah. Absolutely necessary. Was it a, a pretty good atmosphere for bipartisanship? It was. We, uh, there were a couple of things. First of all, Senator Pat Miller was somebody that you knew, even when we were friends and we worked together on so much legislation. Mm-hmm. Every time she saw me, she saw a D in my forehead for Democrat. You know, mm-hmm. She was that partisan. Yeah. But also, she was fair, so we worked well together. Other people, they didn't do that. And I think one of the reasons was that we had the Indianapolis Press Club. Did anybody say anything to you about that? No. Well, the press club was a, a, you know, a a restaurant area and bar. And that's where all the legislators, House and Senate, would go after a session, you know, get a drink if it was at night or grab lunch or whatever. And we could talk, we talked to each other all the time mm. and saw each other all the time. We did stuff like we had a, a talent show once that people in the House and the Senate who wanted to do it had a talent. Jesse, um, Jesse, what was his last name? He was a, he was a magician. He, he did oh, magic tricks. Villapondo. Yeah. Villapondo, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it was a really good place to know people as people instead of just know them as the, the opposite party. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, okay. it was. It, it, it all helped. It all worked together. 
What about the difference between the House and Senate? We didn't have the, the kinds of uh, difficulties they seem to have now. Okay. Um, we, we, worked pretty, we worked pretty well together. Uh, um, I know now it's not as easy. Yeah. And Bob and I were at an IU game, and I happened to see the man who was the second in command at the Legislative Services Agency, John, and I said, John, how are you doing? He said, I can't wait until I can retire in three years. I said, why? He said, Kathy, I'm so damn tired of writing legislation for somebody so that they can gig someone else or get them out of the senator house. He uh -huh. said, that's all I do. That's oh all gosh. I do. He said, it, I, and it, it just makes me sick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, uh, and for Senate, but, uh, Greg. John Greg. John Greg. When John Greg was in the house, and he was in the back row because he was a newie, a new mm -hmm. guy. He did, he, he brought numbers on cards that he had passed out to the back row, and they graded everybody like you grade a dive. Uh -huh. 7.1, 2.3, and that was hysterically funny. They did things like that. I have a, a wooden um, clothespin in my box that I got this stuff out yeah. of today because for several years you would go over there and somebody would stick a clothespin on the back of your jacket. You uh -huh. know, you'd walk out of there, damn, you, you, you could go through a whole day and yeah. people would go, <laughs> not say anything, you know, you're wearing. And then they would put colors on the clothespins so they knew who whose it was that got them. Okay. <laughs> they were just, they were, they had fun. And we were very serious. Yeah. We didn't have fun. Yeah. At all. But we worked hard, and they worked hard, but they just worked differently, mm -hmm. you know. Why do you think the atmosphere then was so different in the house? Was the number of people there? or Yes, number of people and what was expected, you mm -hmm. know. How you treated each other in the house was how guys treat each other because mm -hmm. it was mostly guys. Mm -hmm. In the Senate, it was more restrained. Uh, Bob Garton was our uh, the head of the Senate for all the years I was there, and he was very serious. Um, he, he observed rules of his own, and one of them being that no conference committee report would ever come back with anything inserted in it that wasn't the same, uh, you know, the same portion of the law that, that that bill was to do with. So don't mess the bills up, okay? He was Mr. Germain. And uh, so we, you followed along mm -hmm. pretty carefully with something like that. You know, because yeah. he was the head of this. And, and while we were there, the house changed uh, when we had 50-50 in the house. That's when the speaker of the house lost the biggest piece of, of their authority and their power mm -hmm. they possibly could lose. Because they are the, were, used to be the ones who called up any bill they wanted at any time they wanted to. So if they wanted to build a die and they saw you leave the floor any reason mm -hmm. they called it up while you were gone or he never called it up yeah so after the 50 50 each legislature had legislator had the the same power that we did which was call our bills up when we wanted to call them up right 
and they were you know on the agenda, but you didn't have to go right down the, the the agenda for the day to call up your bill. So you you had more ability to to do that in the Senate than you did in the House. Okay, yeah. Must have been interesting serving at a time when the house was split like that. Oh yeah. What was yeah. it like from the Senate perspective dealing with that house in such a unique situation? Um, it was it was always um, how are they going to do this? How are they going to do that? And and that was the other thing. You remember when the house would change and the Democrats would be in power, whoever the, the minority leader was would have to change his whole office over to the majority side, yeah. and then back. When, you know, yeah. and they decided this is stupid. Yeah. So you, the Democrats stayed on the right, and the Republicans stayed on the left. Mm -hmm. But when there was a bill that was really, uh, you know, like one day, I was going to go over and ask Bill Cochran a question. Okay, I walked out in the hall. A bait is over here. <coughs> I knew who they are? Mm -hmm. The motorcycle people. Yep. Were, who were scary. Then I'm walking across, state employees are down in the rotunda singing, We Shall Overcome. <laughs> and the Indians, you know, the Potawatomi, uh -huh. all those people, for the, and they were for the, the uh, casinos, they're over on the house side, with their drums, just uh -huh. reminding them, we're here, we're here. Wow. You know. And I went into the house to walk onto the floor to, to talk to Cochran, and I heard somebody say, well, I'll take his chair and I'll throw it across uh -huh. and I thought hell's a problem what's going on yeah and that was the day that Frank Newkirk from Salem Indiana uh -huh. changed from being a Democrat representative to Republican representative mm. that gave them one more vote in everything wow and angered Democrats and it and they should it should have yeah Ang and his dad was the Democrat mayor of Salem he never told his dad ahead of time. Oh, my God. And, of course, reporters ran to that, his office down there, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It was it was not well done. Yeah. Sounds and it was the first crazy. time that wow. had yeah. happened. It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so did Newkirk change during that 50-50 session? Or was I it don't know. I don't think so. Okay. I think it was still... I think it was still a Republican uh, speaker. Okay. So, yeah, I think it would, yeah, because it wouldn't have okay. made as, well, it did make a difference, but it wouldn't, I guess it would have made a bigger difference, 50-50, wouldn't it? <coughs> I guess we could look that up. Yeah, I could check, probably. I was just curious, yeah. yeah. I don't remember. Um, yeah, I feel like he, he probably did it, because I feel like I would have heard that. That would have been pretty game-changing, and during a 50-50 session, that oh would change. Yeah. That, that would have been, have been wild. Been. Huge. So, yeah. Must have been some other time, but yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. So how influential would you say party leadership was to dictating what legislation would make it or not? Um, they were they were influential, and so was the governor. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, amazed in the last two years when COVID hit and the governor mandated the masks and things. I think he handled it very well. Mm hmm and I was amazed when his legislators turned on him. Yeah. That would never have happened when I was here or in any time up to then. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And uh, 
columnist for the Indianapolis Star uh, wrote a column about don't sell him short. He's got a lot of power, and you're going to be, held, you know, mm-hmm. you'll be held accountable for the kinds of things you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the national move, you know. Yeah, it's pretty uh, yeah, contentious. Yeah, it's scary to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they can, if they can change. Uh, the outcome of an election, then we are no longer mm-hmm. a free democracy. Yeah. You know, and they, if they can call themselves into session and do that, I mean, mm-hmm. I would never support that. Right. Yeah. Uh, when you served, did you ever go against party leadership? Mm-hmm. And what was that like? How was that experience? <laughs> well, on my side... Democrats are so different in that you're you're pretty autonomous. Okay. Um, you can take a position, and if you can explain it in caucus, they're not going to censure you at all. Mm-hmm. You know, if you say "screw you," uh, I, uh, several women in my caucus, two women in my caucus when I was here, yelled "screw you" and walked out. Wow. And, and they became leadership. <laughs> I said, now oh, wait a minute, you're supposed to sit here and listen, I thought, but maybe, yeah. maybe you know, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But we were pretty accepted if we explained why we thought the bill was important. Yeah. And why I was on a bill that, that I did not propose at all about um, nursing homes with Tom uh, from Fort Wayne. We went to his wife's funeral. It's hard. The one who helped us get... Weiss. Yeah, Weiss. W-Y-S-S. Yeah. He said, now, Kathy, this is a contentious bill. And if you want, you know, think about it. I want you to be second if you don't you know, think it through. Well, I believed in it. You know, nursing home people were not the best people yeah. back then. They might not be now, but I'm not sure. <coughs> but anyhow... I said, no, I really, I believe in the bill and I want to do it. So then I talked to my leadership about it, you know. And I said, I've said yes, and I do want to do it. Is it okay with you? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I can't remember them ever telling anybody not to support a bill or be, go on a bill. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, and that was another big point. Yeah. I was worried <clears throat> that when I came here, I would be viewed by the male legislators as, okay, mm-hmm. Tap her on the head. Okay, honey, it's all right. You know, mm-hmm. never once. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's Never good. once. Yeah. I was surprised and just hurt when two women who had been in the legislature a long time disliked every one of us who came in and gave us a hard time. Hmm. You know how that when you have your first bill on the floor in the Senate. Yeah. They grill you, you know, and that's part of the yeah initiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this woman grilled me, and it was not pleasant, and it was not it was real. Mm-hmm. And my guys didn't realize it until a little later on, and then they got up mm-hmm. and defended my bill with me. Yeah. But it was not, you know, it was tough, and mm-hmm. uh, she was she was on my case for a lot of, a lot of years until she yeah. left. Yeah, okay. How many women were serving at the time when you were in the General Assembly? When I came in, our freshman class had about 
probably seven. Okay. So uh, we brought the numbers way up. Yeah. Um, but I can't remember the... Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, see, how influential would you say lobbyists were in the General Assembly? They were very influential, and they are very necessary. Okay. And I made that speech at home when I was in the Senate yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. And for the reasons I just said to you, how in the world am I supposed to know about banking mm-hmm. and, you know, insurance? And they've got their own language, mm-hmm. you know, all these things without somebody who's a lobbyist. And I said, and the best ones tell you what they want and what the other side will say and why they think theirs is more valid. Yeah. You know, and I also told them that your words are bond up here mm-hmm. and you lie to a lobbyist and within 24 hours, everybody in the whole state house knows. Mm-hmm. They lie to you, same thing. Yeah. So you lose your credibility and you lose your ability to do much of anything. Yeah, interesting. So you always knew who to trust and who not to trust. Yeah, yeah. I guess you'd find out yeah, if they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they just told you the wrong information. And uh, on purpose, yeah. not just if right. they made a mistake. Right. And if they did make a mistake, they'd be running to you and sending a note in. Yeah. Please come out to talk to so-and-so. Please come out to talk to mm-hmm. so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's understandable. Yeah. But if they, if they lied on purpose. Yeah. No. Nope. Um, do you think, like, campaign donations or gifts had much influence on politicians or... I don't know about now. But the people who gave to me were people, like teachers, mm-hmm. people that walked in the same moccasins, kind of. Yeah. And because I was on the health committee every year, I got to know not only the medical profession, but the hospital association and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. all those people. And, and people that you know are the people who really give to you. I was never in the majority, okay? So... Yeah. I didn't get the big bucks right, right. at all. Yeah. So that made it even better, I guess, because people who gave me wanted me to do well, but they knew I wasn't going to be able to change everything. Right. Wanted to change. Yeah. yeah. There was money that came in more to uh, the, the side that was in power. Um, campaign donation laws were very, very specific, and when you had to report, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And when your campaign committee had to report. So, um, I don't know what Garten got. But I'm assuming it was like uh, McConnell now. The biggest donator to my campaign was my dad. Uh, how influential would you say gerrymandering was when you served? Very influential. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very influential. And, and even more now, yeah. um, when they put two members uh-huh. in the same district because they want one of them... Yeah. Knocked out, you know. Um, it just, it used to be a, a gentleman's agreement on lots of things that you didn't mm-hmm. do. If you didn't care for someone or they didn't follow you, um, you asked somebody to run, like O'Bannon asked me to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't publicly humiliate people. Yeah. So, that's changed. Okay. 
Um, so thinking about your experiences in the General Assembly, uh, what would you change about the legislative process? From the time I was involved or now? Um, I, I guess you could you know, talk about both if you want. Um, during your service, what did you find that was like problematic? Well, you know, anytime you have that many people involved, mm -hmm. things are going to be problematic. Sure. Because people view things completely differently than you do. And that's something you had to learn right away, mm -hmm. is, you know, you don't hate somebody because they disagree right. with you. If there are somebody who is firmly in that, has had, had that experience and are firmly believe this, mm -hmm. you have to respect that. Um, I don't think that's the same way now. Okay. But the respect that we held for each other and the friendships mm -hmm. um, made it easier to bear when you were not the majority. Yeah. You know. Um, there were some people that uh, were never very friendly or, or very honest with us. But that was like that was like the, the jungle drums again. I, I mean, people yep. knew. If I lied to somebody, they knew, and I yeah. lost, you know, a lot for that. Mm -hmm. So, I, from the the rules, the way the Senate and the House were were conducted when I was in, I think were fair. Okay. You know, I, I there was a, a a percentage that that they followed mm -hmm. that I'm not so sure they follow now of how many Democrats there were for how many people on the, each committee was a Democrat, you know, the yeah. percent. Right. Um, and I'm not sure that's followed down. That would, that would bother me. Sure. A lot. Yeah. I think if I were still here, I couldn't have my fair share to speak up. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you say was the most controversial legislative issues when you served? Well, the budget was always controversial. Yeah. Uh, we never uh, had the uh, we never had the surpluses they have now. Oh my Lord in heaven! Um, in fact, it, the Indiana Constitution does not allow the state to go into debt because those canals put it in debt, put us in debt before the Civil War, and if it hadn't been for <clears throat> Lanier, who lived down in Madison. Clothing and arming uh, the, I don't know if it was platoon or whatever, but that group of Indiana Hoosiers who were called, conscripted to come yeah. uh, fight for the North, we wouldn't have been able to do that because there was no money in the, for, mm -hmm. in the state. So that changed the Constitution and we're not allowed to go into debt. That's still the case. So when I was in this, when I was lobbying, you know, quote, not paid, just coming up here, um, Governor Ord needed money, and so he took it from the teacher's retirement fund, and I think it was $4 million, hmm. and we were never sure he was going to pay it back. Well, he never, first of all, he never would admit that he took it, but then like two or three years later when he got the money, he paid it back. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was, you know, those were kind of, they had to do sleight of hand kinds of things in order to just keep going. But now, with the billion dollars, billions of dollars of, of extra money that they have, um, 
it's uh, it's surprising that they don't fund things better. Mm-hmm. Well, but when I was here, the newspaper, the Indianapolis Star, was very much a Republican paper at that time, because the Pulliams owned it, <coughs> and uh, they were big Republicans. You know that uh, Vice President Quayle was the grandson of the Pulliam, who owned all of he owned the Muncie Star, the Indianapolis Star, you know, newspapers all over Indiana. Um, they're much more fair now. I mean, it, I, it's amazing to me having, you know, the experience I had, how good those reporters are now. Hmm. Um, and and they tell it like I know it is because I've been here. Uh, but that was tough when they would take you on um, because you were working for something that they didn't believe in as Republicans. Um, I'm trying to think. One time I got crossways with the Supreme Court Justice, Indiana Supreme Court Justice, because I was crossways with his wife. And you know who's his wife? She's the one who's the Democrat on uh, the television show that uh, our friend used to moderate. Anyhow, he got upset with me because I was, I was upset with his wife, hmm. um, and I did get in. I did get in hot water one time with the governor, Governor By. Okay. He had two people who were his uh, lobbyists for the governor's office who did not tell the truth, and I was co-authoring a bill with uh, a Republican senator, and it was a, a nursing home bill, I think. And there was another bill that was counter to it. And I kept hearing that the, the governor wanted that one. What's going on? So I went to the governor's office. And I asked him. And his gal, who was his lobbyist for those issues, was right there with us. And I said, just tell me, is this, do you prefer this bill? Because I'll back off on this one. Yeah. He, he said, no, I don't think so. He said, and? Do, do I prefer that? And answers, if we could have a nickel for every time anybody said, you know. So I thought, okay, I'm all right. Then I'm sitting in the Senate lounge, and I hear her say to Bill McCarty, Bill, we don't like this one. We like that one. I said, Ann, you just told me in the governor's office that you liked my bill. We did? Oh, yeah. Okay, Bill, vote for her bill. I said, wait a minute. How many people have you told that to? Oh, he's the first one. So I wrote the governor after the session, and there were other issues that the male guy did, too, that her counterpart from the governor's office. I said, they're not doing you any good, governor. Hmm. You know, they're not doing you any good. So he calls me in, and I think I'm going to talk to him about it. Uh-uh. He has me sit down, and those two are at me. And... Um, I didn't get upset. I didn't cry, which was, I was not going to cry. One of them finally said, well, you know, we don't have to like you at all. I said, well, that's a damn good thing because I don't like either one of you at all either, you know. Mm -hmm. So he did not handle that well. Yeah. Um, Governor Bai wasn't the strongest uh, Democrat that ever ran the state. Hmm, okay. Um. What would you say was the most complex piece of legislation that you worked on? 
education funding was always complex. Yeah, but uh, there's so many different funds and so many rules on each. That was that was always complex. Um, insurance legislation, which is one of the bills I'm proudest of, by the way. It was not my bill, but I was co-author on it, and it's known all through the United States as the Indiana Plan. Mm -hmm. It was a bill that we passed that told insurance companies, okay, if you're going to sell to Medicaid people, long-term care insurance, whatever, these are the things that have to be in it. Mm -hmm. If they're not in it, we will not endorse it, and we will not allow it to be sold in Indiana. And up to that time, insurance companies did what they pleased here. Yeah. And uh, so they conformed to it. And in that, that legislation, too, you did not have to, to spend down all your assets before going into a nursing home. So that, I mean, that was huge. So that bill um, is one of, my, one of my proudest things, that long-term care bill. Yeah, I was uh, going through the newspaper archives and saw some uh, pieces of legislation that kept popping up while you were serving. Um, see, I saw something about legislation regarding like spousal abuse. Uh, so, what legislation did you work yeah. on with that? Well, I, I, you know, I did not tell <clears throat> people <throat> that uh, my husband tried to kill me mm -hmm. in front of my daughter. Um, Mary Dieter knew it only because I, I mm -hmm. said, "Boy, I already won." Kind of think of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Representative, uh, <clears throat> oh gosh, he became mayor of Bloomington. What's his name? Cruzan. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cruzan was one of the smartest legislators over there. Most progressive, very much uh, admired. Mm -hmm. He came to me and he had this spousal abuse, and he said, "Kathy, uh, Bill Cochran told me that you would be a good person." To be my, to carry this bill in the Senate, and I looked at it, and you know, yeah, I, I'd be happy to do that. So just like I told you, I did with AIDS bill. I went over to committee uh, when it was first heard in the House. It was a House bill, first heard in the House, and I, I testified for it in committee and told them, you know, it was marital rape as well as domestic violence told them my background, and they asked questions about, you know, why didn't you leave? And I said, well, I did. <laughs> you know? um, and the bill passed, and, but, and no uh, newspaper people were in the room. Mm. So, again, when I spoke for it, when it came to the Senate, in Senate committee there was an Indianapolis report, uh, report in the room, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that person. Okay. I would have said what I said anyhow, but I didn't know it was going to be on the front page of the paper. Mm -hmm. And my ex-husband, who did that, lives in Kokomo, Indiana. Mm. So I'm sure, you know, he gets the Indianapolis Star, and he sees that. He, he, at that time, he was still an attorney before he lost his license. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all this, I worked at Sears every night, <laughs> taught all day, worked at Sears every night so we could get him through law school. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. So anyhow, that was on the front page of the paper. Yeah. And I, you know, I was always worried that he would come back after me, mm -hmm. 
And in fact, the state police would call him, his number, mm-hmm. like every six months to make sure of where he was. Mm-hmm. And they did that for me even after I left the Senate. Wow. Um, and my daughter, thank God, was on spring break, so I could get to her first and tell her what happened. And of course, George, I called George right away. Um, and it, it, you know, it was amazing. And, and I'll tell you, after I first let it be known what happened, I never once gave a speech anywhere that I didn't bring that up and, and talk about that for five to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Every time, one of the most beautiful women in the class, classiest people in the class, would be waiting around, waiting around until everybody left. And then they'd come up to me and they'd either be able to tell me what happened or they'd just start to cry and I'd hug them and they'd hug me. Yeah. Um, and it was never the person that you would, thought, you would have thought, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing that's happened. We know that it's everywhere. In fact, um, after I left the Senate, I started uh, volunteering with the Indiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And every year they have a big fundraising dinner, and they honor people who've stood up, you know. And and one year when you were with me, mm-hmm. they honored uh, Judy O'Bannon, mm. and Judy stood up and talked about the fact that it's endemic in our society. So don't look down on anyone, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said she was visiting shelters in the Indianapolis area because she thought that was something important to do. She walks into one shelter, and there is her husband's, he's dead by this time he died, her husband's cardiologist's wife that they went on trips with, and, and wow. you know, all kinds of social, and she was battered. And Judy said, what's going on? She said, you never knew, did you? And Judy said, no. She said, well, he does this when he gets angry at me. Wow. And, and I spoke to a group of women in Bloomington, and you can tell if they believe you or not. And you know, all you have to do is look at their eyes. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it across. Mm-hmm. So I used the Judy O'Bannon example. Mm-hmm. And forgetting that the woman who was hosting it's husband is a cardiologist. And she said, how old was she? I said, I don't know, Judy just, you know, she said, oh, my God. She said, there was a wife of a guy in his class, my husband's class, who brought money and, and jewelry to me and said, please just hold it for me. And, and she said, I could never figure out why. Mm-hmm. And I said, it was probably her escape money. Mm-hmm. And so everybody in the whole room went, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is true. And then Cheryl Fike said, Kathy's right, we're going to go pick up my daughter at the airport today. Her husband from California, who's a rock star or something, mm-hmm. uh, beating the hell out of her. So she's coming home. Wow. And, and when one of my bills I was proud of, too, was uh, there was nothing in the curriculum at the Law Enforcement Academy in Plainfield yeah. that talked about how you deal with domestic violence situations. Mm. Wow, okay. And... Back then, it was a big chunk. Now it's at least half 
of every time they go out, they have to be worried about that. So I, I, that was one of my bills, that that had to be in the curriculum. They couldn't find anybody to teach it. So I taught the first few months of that class, and I was there talking to them, and I was always talking about, you know, the female being the survivor, victim and survivor. Mm. And after class, a gentleman waited for me, and he was the police, yeah. police he was the police chief in Anderson, Indiana. Yeah. He said, Kathy, I'm a, I'm a victim of domestic violence. I said, you are? He said, yeah. He said, my wife doesn't hit me, but if I don't do what she wants me to do, when she wants me to do it, she tells me she'll kill herself. So I never say women only anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is it takes you right back. When you talk about it takes you right back emotionally, you know. So it's a difficult thing. It's not something I look forward to doing. It just so happened I talked to a group of people in Scottsburg, Indiana, what, within weeks before we were married. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time you really understood. Yeah my trust issues, <laughs> you know, it's hard to trust somebody sure. after that. Definitely, yeah. Wow. And he was so good at, he was so good at hiding that. He uh, had been a pharmacist. That's when I was in India, in, uh, at Purdue that last year, that was his last year of pharmacy school. Mm -hmm. And um, he was, he was a charmer. And I would meet people who would say, you're Bill's wife? We love him. Isn't he wonderful? And I just go, hmm. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe this, but it's the truth. I went to the home of the two gentlemen who were the co-owners of this pharmacy, and they were old <coughs> enough. When I had Allison, they were her here grandfathers, you know. Mm -hmm. And she didn't. He didn't try to kill me until she was about three years old. And when I went to their door and they said, we miss Bill so much, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I told them what happened. They still, I mean, they just couldn't get their minds around it. Yeah. And you can't. I mean, it, it was, it was, he was Jekyll and Hyde, you know. And what a waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a waste. Wow. Um, you mentioned that you had worked on a fair amount of education legislation. Um, it sounded like from the newspapers there's a lot of education reform. Um, what exactly was the work that you were doing at the time? Well, I, the education reform that that happens through the Mind Trust mm -hmm. uh, and all that was not reform. Okay. It was the beginning of the charter school kind of movement mm -hmm. where... Uh, Schools were established that did not have to follow any of the state rules. Okay, yeah. Uh, many of them didn't have to do the test that was forced upon our kids. You know, in order to graduate high school, you had to pass this test. In order to graduate from third grade to fourth grade, you had to pass the test. You know, it became test man manic. Right. And um, my kids, some of them were test phobic. And I knew that when they were... <laughs> Faced with something like that, it would just kill him. Yeah. You know. And there was a woman who was the volunteer lobbyist for special ed kids. Apparently, she'd had a special ed child. And when that whole thing came up about the test, 
she insisted that every kid, every special ed kid take that test. Like some can't even read. Right. And, and they cry and be so upset weeks ahead of time. And during like four hours of the test, every, every day there was four, and the next day there was four, they're just in hysterics crying. Mm -hmm. And there was no need for that. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, that was one of the most difficult things I saw happen. And when Governor O'Bannon did ask me to be his education person in his cabinet, I learned later that this lady went to him and said, she hates special ed kids. What are you having? Because I didn't agree with her that they should take that test. Mm -hmm. But see, some of her side of that story is that she fought so hard for those kids to be in school, you know, to be integrated into a school system and a school community right. that she didn't want anything different for them than the regular school kids had. Mm -hmm. And so that was, um, that was her motivation. But my last two years of teaching, um, special needs kids were mainstreamed into regular classes. And I'd never had any classes on how to teach special ed. Mm -hmm. Neither had my, my teachers in my whole school. Yeah. And all of us were just, I mean, I cried every day after school. I went home and cried every day because in order to keep them understanding what we were doing, the people who were ahead and average got so much less of me. Yeah. And, and I couldn't even discuss stuff with them because I was answering these questions and I didn't have any kind of an aide or anything who could take them to another couple of desks and talk to them, you know, that was, would have been okay. But it was frustrating for them. It was, it was tearing me apart, and they're bored as can be, and these guys are thinking, well, why isn't she talking to us, you know? Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a divisive, terrible situation. And that kind of reform does nothing but hurt kids. And the... Uh, my teaching and my public school teaching is not only my profession, it is my heart. Yeah. And people who hurt kids, I, I hate. <laughs> and sure. I'm not a hater. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, and I don't believe it's a whole lot better now. We used to be able to have some say because the superintendent of public instruction was an elected position. And so if we had any political sway at all throughout the state, it was with that position, okay? Now, did we have Democrat ones? No. Uh, Sue Ellen Reed was the superintendent of public instruction for a lot of years when I was in the Senate and when I was in the governor's office. She was fabulous. She was fabulous. She was a Republican. She was kid first. She was great. She was even, um, she was not popular with Republican governors who tried to defeat her. But she, she stuck it out as long as she wanted to. And, you know, she retired when she wanted to retire because she was, she was loved. And, and the, the push to push any secretary of education or any superintendent of public instruction out by this governor and the governor before was unconscionable. 
uh, Jennifer McClintock, who was a Republican gal who took out the one Democrat who served for just one term. McCormick. Yeah. McCormick, that's right. Um, <clears throat> she was kid-oriented. She was great. She, she decided not to run again because everything she tried to do was stopped by the governor. And his, uh, he had an education committee that he appointed of business people. You know, if you're smart, you realize people who walk in those moccasins know the best. you got to listen to some of them. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was not being done, and still not done, because now there, there is no position. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Um, I saw that there were some debates going on regarding, like, abortion uh, when you served. What exactly was the conversation like? Was it similar to what was going on today, or...? Yeah, yeah, it okay. was. And um, I was always firm in my belief that, mm-hmm. that, that it was a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. And I, I, had some, I had some difficulties during my uh, town meetings when I went home. Yeah. Especially with one woman who was... I finally I said, we're not going to agree on this issue, okay? There's no reason to badger me every time I'm home, because I'm going to tell you the same thing. We're not going to agree on this. You know, and as long as I'm in an office, that's the way I'm going to work. Yeah. I didn't tell her that, you know, the national statistics were... That, uh, at that time, 75% of the people thought, uh, you know, that there should be abortions when they're necessary and also when the woman was not able to take have a, have a child at that time. Mm-hmm. And now I you know I'm just I'm I'm amazed and disgusted that they think so little of women that the that states as soon as the Supreme Court's going to act have the trigger bills all done mm-hmm. and many of them do not make any exception for rape incest or mother's life yeah must be incredibly strange for you because it it looked like you're going backwards in time exactly yeah and never ever uh, said to anyone honey you go ahead and have an abortion I've never counseled anyone to get an abortion Mm -hmm. my daughter and her husband seven years of in vitro fertilization. And if you've never gone through that with anybody, you don't realize mm-hmm. how difficult and terrible that is because every month when they've inserted the, the eggs mm-hmm. into her, um, her ovaries that have been, that have been, blastuses have been, uh, the sperm has gotten into them mm-hmm. and it has a certain look Mm-hmm. And they put him in, and then the next time she has a period, it's like a death in the family. Mm-hmm. My daughter is the most sunny, funny, mm-hmm. bright, happy kid, okay? She was a basket case for all those years. I went down when I, well, I was home. I was with her every weekend. But when I moved to Indianapolis because I worked in the governor's office, I went down there and stayed every weekend so Scott could go to his law office and get something done. Yeah. And uh, when she finally conceived Jack, and they did that in vitro, uh, that picture 
um, and where they put the stuff on the, the tummy. Yeah. I carried that with me, and and I, there, have you seen one? It looks like there's uh, there's like a, a light on this mm-hmm. forming infant's face. Yeah. And you know, I I testified in committee in the house after I'd left um, about they're trying to to end that practice, and I said. I think that's God looking down at my grandson. And I wouldn't have had a grandson without medical uh, science coming mm-hmm. to where it is. Yeah. You know, and uh, Tim Brown was the chairman of that health committee. You know, he was he's a doctor. He said, we're not hearing that bill. Hmm. So that was great. That yeah. was great. But it was that far back that they've been trying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and now in vitro would also be banned because when you didn't conceive those mm-hmm. those eggs are flushed mm-hmm. you know through your body so it makes no sense and it's and it's so injurious to people it's so nasty especially to women who have no money to go across state lines to an abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, or to doctors who have to hide where they live, yeah, so they don't get killed. Um, I don't understand that. I don't understand. I don't. That's one thing that you ask me if you know. Mm-hmm. If you don't, that's one thing I do not understand. Yeah, I just don't understand. Sure. Uh, so there was also some legislation on like regarding child abuse uh-huh. uh, when you served? What exactly was going on with that? Well, it's still happening. And I was involved with with the uh, coalition while I was still in the Senate. And, you know, one year one of the things they did uh, was come to the State House and, and read, not the names, but a, a little boy, this how many years old, died with his head forced into the toilet until he drowned, you know. You listen to those, and and I would read every tenth one out loud, show support. It tore us apart. Mm -hmm. Absolutely tore us apart. And uh, so any time there was legislation to help protect those people, from their parents, I I was for it, and you know the, the abused kids want to go back home yeah. because that's all they know. Yep. Um, Allison never did; she never really wanted her dad back. Uh, but I know many times then those kids become abusers because that's all they know, mm-hmm. um, and then that's hard for me to understand. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to judge. I wasn't physically abused or mentally abused, but boy, anything I could do to help protect those kids, I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also saw there was some work on homeless legislation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, tell me about that. Well, we have a, a gal down in Jeffersonville, uh, which was Clark 
the Clark County portion that I had, and I I usually had the downtown area, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's where homeless people would usually be, uh, because somewhere down there, like up here, there would be steam heat coming up from some great, you know, uh, on a sidewalk or whatever, and they would they would gather around those things, so. She, Barbara Anderson was her name, and she was, she was top notch, and she was uh, someone who was not only an advocate but someone who would would search out any grants she could find, etc. So anything that she needed my help on, I did. I mean, obviously, I didn't do anything against the law, but I I right. advocated for her and for that. And for that group of people because they didn't have anybody speaking for them because they didn't vote, number one, mm-hmm. which if you're, you know, if all you're doing is trying to get voters, that's important to you. Um, they didn't usually have anybody to help them. And in Indianapolis, Kathy Williams uh, t- takes on all those, she's a lobbyist, she takes on all those groups. And... Uh, Every time, almost, she gets knocked down and her bills don't go through, and she keeps coming back. And I admire her so much, and told, I've told her that several times. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that if she still is doing it, but I think she is. Mm-hmm. Does that name sound familiar to you? I've, I haven't heard before. Okay. But, but anyhow, they're, they're usually women yeah. who uh, advocate for those mm-hmm. people who don't have... <coughs> don't have the representation they should. Yeah. And that's, remember, that's me. Yep, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, so moving towards just kind of some big picture questions and reflective questions on your service, um, how would you summarize your time overall as a state legislator? It was wonderful. We were, the friends you make there are friends forever. It's just like when you hear uh, kids on athletic teams, yeah. you know, uh, true friendships. And uh, a lot of my compatriots are, are dying, which is, is really difficult. But we, I keep in touch um, with them. Uh, and, and it was, overall, it was a very po- positive experience. Except I've never been so tired in my life, though, because mm-hmm. I had so much, many things to do for that position as well as teaching, uh, it was pretty, it was very tiring. Yeah. Uh, what lessons did you learn from your experiences? I, I'm sorry to say that I learned that people aren't always what you thought they were going to be. Yeah. Uh, when you find someone who doesn't have the clay feet, it's probably one person out of five that you thought you really, you know, when you knew about them before mm-hmm. you had to work with them or whatever, you were all, oh gosh, how wonderful. And then the reality isn't always as pretty. Yeah. But that made you, um, that made you like that person more and be willing to do anything for them to be successful in what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know, in politics. So. Sure. Um, did you have any regrets as a legislator? I think at the time away from my daughter yeah. and my husband, um, those were 
were big regrets. Yeah. And it so happened that the education committee that I was on, uh, the chairman decided that we would meet at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. <coughs> so coming from New Albany, I couldn't be sure I'd get up here in time for the meeting if I didn't come the night before. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. I had to come spend Sunday night here, too. And the funny part is I would just get used to sleeping without George in the bed um, by Friday. And then Saturday, or Friday night and Saturday night, I couldn't sleep very well because George was in the bed. And then, I mean, the whole thing would start over again, you know. Yeah. So that was, uh, that's just, I don't know, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, sure. I remember one time I had to leave them to go back to Indianapolis, and I just started crying in the car, so I turned around and went home. I said, we didn't think this through. You know, yeah. the, it's okay, Mom. It's all right. You know. Yeah. It's always difficult, yeah, for people having to commute to Indianapolis mm -hmm. and with their families. Yeah, it's tough. Um, have you had to do that? Uh, I have had to commute. No, not like that. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> uh, luckily, I've, I've been able to dodge a commute. Uh, Good. But. Uh, it's not easy. No, it's not. Yeah, but, I, you know, I, I was only like yeah. two to three months a year, so yeah. that was better than yeah. Someone with a full year's commitment that they can't. Yeah. my The year before I came to India, I'm originally from Kansas. I worked uh, for the Kansas version of legislative services mm -hmm. for a year. And I was commuting about you know, 30 minutes or whatever. You would be stuck whenever legislators were there. So you could be there for you know 24 hours. So a few nights, it was pretty late getting back. But uh, yeah. Um, just and some people course. don't even think about. <laughs> yeah. Who they're keeping here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You just kind of you're just there until you're told to go home. So yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Mm. Um, what was your proudest moment as a legislator? It's hard to it's hard to to pick one, um, because when you pass a bill like the the AIDS bill, we thought it would work well. Yeah. And protect who it needed to protect. But you never knew for sure. Mm -hmm. So by the time that, that that comes into effect, July 1st or whatever, or sometimes a, a piece of legislation, you, you went from A to B instead of A to Z. Mm -hmm. And so each year you had to add on, try to get this part through, this part through, this. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like gratification immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Proud moments came here and also came at home when somebody came up to me and said, thank you. You really made a difference in my life, and I appreciate it. That's your proudest moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I suppose that's one of the aspects of, of when you're crafting legislation is that there's always seems like there's usually going to have to be some type of edits to it later on. Oh, yeah. Because you have no idea how... It operates when it's implemented. Exactly. Um, and if you can't compromise, yeah. you don't belong in a legislature at all. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, if you yeah. come up here thinking, I've got the best idea and nobody can improve on it. Yeah. They always, somebody can think of something you didn't ever think of. Yeah. Somebody could have thought of canoe. Nope. That's <laughs> they right. didn't. Yeah, true. <laughs> so based on your experiences... Uh, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? I think my advice would be, you represent both parties. 
you represent people who don't have a political party. Your focus should be Hoosiers if you're in the state legislature or what state government, not who you can make look stupid so that you'll win the next election. You've got to look yourself in the mirror, you know, even after this is over. And how are you going to do that knowing that you spent time trying to really put it to somebody else instead of trying to help pe the people who elect you? you know, I, and that's all I would have to say. I, I'm not sure I would be speaking to, to McConnell mm -hmm. or to um, West Virginia, the guy you said his name. Yeah, yeah. Joe Manchin. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me... They're the worst kind of thing. They're what give all the rest of people who call that people call politicians a bad name. Mm -hmm. um, and every group, I don't care who it is, usually ninety-five percent of the people are good people working hard, doing the right thing. But there's the five percent, and now they seem to all be in uh, positions of authority. Mm -hmm. There's the five percent that that are just as narrow-minded as they could possibly be for whatever reason. And I, I, I said this time and time again when I talked about lobbyists because they had, they, I guess they still have a terrible name, but mm -hmm. I said the, so, the whole thing about everybody knows if they lie to you, you know, and I need to know about these other things that I have no idea about when I go up there. Yeah. You know, so... I just think they've got to under they have to become more cognizant. I mean, they're all good Christians, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, they're not. You know, if you don't do unto others as you would have them do, to, you're not. I don't care if you're, you know, a deacon in the church or whatever. You are not a good Christian because you are not a person who who does the right thing for the for other people. Mm -hmm. Which you are supposed to do when you're elected. Yeah. You represent. So that's what I'd say to them. Yeah. And they'd say, you, lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Uh, is to make the lives of Hoosiers easier, more fair if they can. Um, <coughs> instead of feathering the pockets of people who have already either been lucky enough to be uh, born to a family that is, is affluent or mm -hmm. has the ability to, to be happy or whatever, remember that there are people that are being left behind every day. Yeah. And, and your, your position gives you the possibility of being a help to them. And so that's important. That's the most important thing to me is that you take care of the people you represent. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say the public does not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? What hard work it is. They don't know that. Um, they don't know that, again, that 95% of the people who are up there are working hard. They believe differently than you might believe. But they're hardworking. They're people who are, are following what they think they should do for the people. As long as you're doing that, even if you're, you don't agree with me or to anybody else, 
you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're, you're true to yourself, you're true to the people that you represent. Right. So. Um, see, how has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? There were more Democrats here as I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've, all, they've all gone. Yeah. Um, it has become more and more conservative. Yeah. Um, in the worst, in the worst look of the, of the term, I don't believe all conservatives mm-hmm. are, you know, anti-abortion, anti-public education, right? Whatever. Um, I do believe that there there is a, a segment of uh, of uh, wealthy people in the country who uh, are trying to get rid of public education because they think we're all liberal and uh, that we're inculcating our politics to the kids that we're teaching, which mm-hmm. is not true. And many, I mean, I know a handful of teachers over 28 years that I could say, eh, mm-hmm. not sure they're telling kids the right thing, you know, that they're... Right. But, uh, you know, other than that, Indiana, yeah. yeah, yeah. That 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 uncaring, uh, rigid belief system that seems to be getting more and more prevalent in the state is a difference I've seen. Mm-hmm. How have the people of Indiana changed? I don't think they have. Okay. I don't think they have. Yeah. The general public. Um. So. What would you want the people of Indiana then to know about their influence on the General Assembly? Well, I try uh, to get my friends to contact their legislator on on an issue, mm-hmm. whether it is uh, a public school issue, whether it's a uh, whatever. Yeah. And they don't believe. Many of them do not believe it makes a difference. And I'm telling you, it does, mm-hmm. because I remember, um, especially the the secretaries of people who were pretty much in power uh, within the legislature, saying, "Oh my God, I got 200 calls just today about this bill," you know. Mm-hmm. And their legislator, if they if they're smart enough, they listen to what that person said. Yeah. And. Uh, when you when you're in a business that you're trying trying to make people respect you and make people happy and give them a better life, you hear that many people that will take the time and the energy to call you or to email you. You better listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that uh, this last session, when uh, Republicans cut off the messaging, the email messaging after so many emails about. Uh, public schools and public school funding, yeah. uh, and and don't do this to public schools. You know th- th- that the critical race theory is never mm. taught in K through yeah. twelve, um, but it worked for the governor elect of Virginia to use that. So that you know, yeah. all of a sudden there are eighty seven mills in a, in our legislature about something that isn't even real. Yeah, um, you know, I think that when they hear a lot of people telling them that. Mm-hmm. Who wear the moccasins? Yeah, they ought to be listening. Yeah. So, and I know that many do. Right. I know many do. Sure. 
Uh, last question I have. Can you talk a little bit about the, uh, the bipartisan group of legislators that you're part of? Uh, oh, the, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a pretty, that's going back to the way it was when I was in the legislature. Yeah. You know, every year when you leave the legislature, especially after special session, and we had lots of those when I was in the legislature mm -hmm. at the end of the year, you think when you leave here, I never want to see those people <laughs> again. My whole life, you know, you're yeah. just burned out. You right. Don't ever, you know. Yeah. Then you come back for a summer study committee, and it's so and so, how have you been? What are you doing? You yeah. know? That's how it is in the Amiga thing. Yeah. Now, there are very many more Republicans than Democrats, and I'm trying to get Democrats to join, but they think it's all Republicans, mm -hmm. which doesn't matter to me. You know, they're friends. From right. When I was in, in the legislature, they're friends. Mm -hmm. So, anyhow, it's a, it's a great group. Uh, we lost uh, the person whose idea it was, et cetera, um, when um, he died. Of, Brian Hassler. Yeah, Brian Hassler. Uh, and so we lost some momentum then, uh, but we're we're still working. Um, it's not a full time gig, mm -hmm. but uh, coming back and seeing those people is great fun. Yeah, listening to the stories is great fun, especially the stories the House members have. <laughs> we yeah, were, sure. We're kind of like, oh, that was great. We never have done anything like that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. Th yeah. That's fun. It's mm -hmm. good to see them, and uh, it's uh, good to be remembered too. And sure, and so uh, I enjoy it. And uh, I've been the, the vice chair for I think almost since it, the inception of it. Mm -hmm. They enjoy having a Democrat as well as You're and the they Democrat. yeah. <laughs> well, they asked me if, when. Uh, <coughs> Who left as our president? They asked me if I wanted to be the president. Uh -huh. I said, no, thank you. I, you know, yeah. I'm busy enough as it is. Yeah. It's crazy how busy we are in retirement. It's sure. crazy how busy we are. Yeah. But I, I want to put my full support toward it. So yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah. How many people are in it in total? Oh, when we have a meeting, the big meeting, probably what? Between... Yeah, 25, 30 mm, will okay. come. Yeah, that's cool. Yes. Do you meet at, like, Indianapolis? Or? Yes, we've okay. been meeting at the fairgrounds, in fact. There's, oh, okay, wow. There's a building out there that mm -hmm. we, is it the Farm Bureau building? That we'll have a luncheon mm -hmm. catered there, yeah. And, yeah. and then a meeting, and then a big a picture. The barn. You know, okay. Or the barn. <clears throat> the big barn. Yeah, we've, had, we've used that, too. But yeah. see, COVID just stopped everything. Oh, sure, yeah. So we haven't really had a big meeting since then. Yeah. But we will. Yeah, cool. And we invite former legislators from all over to come. Yeah. And a lot do, especially ones who've lost a spouse. Yeah. They come because they're, they're down and lonely, you know. Sure, yeah. And so it's that's good because we give them a, we give yeah. them a day of laughing. Definitely. And, and good fellowship. That's so cool. It is cool. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask about that you wanted to mention, or did we cover it all? Or I'll think of a lot of stuff on the way home. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> for the next interview. That's right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, just... you're welcome, Ben. Thank you.